This reminds me when I took Jesse DePlantis to a church in England one time, an abbey. And uh, I showed him all the people that were buried in that church, in the walls and stuff. Jesse got up in the next service and said, Jerry Seville took me to the deadest church I've ever been to. (laughs) All right, are you ready? Well, uh, Carolyn is not through. And uh, Richard has told her, was it this morning or last night? Last night, that he would be happy to let her have his morning service. And then he'll be on this afternoon with Lindsay. And so um, I want you to welcome my wife once again. Give her a good hand. is good, isn't he? Oh, my goodness. Stretch your hands out towards me. Heavenly Father, I come before you today. I yield my spirit, my soul, and my body to you. Use my mouth. Use me, Father. I yield myself. I yield myself. I yield myself. I yield myself to you to be used. Anointing, 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 anointing. Oh, ha, ha. New roads, new roads, new paths. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Se, he, brondo. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Aha, 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 aha. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's going to be so grand, so large. Aha, the scope is so big. Aha, aha, aha. Don't be afraid. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Oh, you're not left out, out there on the outer banks. Oh, he sees you. He sees you. He sees that heart's cry. He sees that hunger. He sees it. Ah, ha sabro. Oh, boboto no de bebe ese babandanda. Anointing, fresh anointing, fresh anointing, fresh anointing. Oh, it comes from heaven comes from heaven upon you and windy in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Ala sobre bebe la tonde. I ca sobra baladian donde sebra. I que le de sebro bonde le de sebra. We worship you. We worship you. We adore you. We magnify you. We exalt you, Father. We exalt you, we exalt you, we exalt you. Oh, we love you, Father. We love you, Father. We love you, Father. Thank you, Father. You may be seated. Last night when we left the service, left this room, and we're in the back room, Richard, Lindsay, and Jerry, Richard said to me, Carolyn, I feel like you're not finished, and I want to give you tomorrow morning so you can finish. And do you know what an humbling thing that is for Richard Roberts to give up his service to me? When I'm the type woman that just wants to sit in the background and sit on the back row where you can't see me and can't hear me, and I'm the supporter and the one that undergirds you with the strength and the prayers. So I'm humble today. Richard, thank you so much for giving me your service. So I'm accepting this as a divine thing from God for me to do. And it's not going to be like the service yesterday, but it's going to be... Well, we'll get into it. Okay. I don't know how it's going to be. But as, as 
and of the children of Ishkar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. We are men and women of God, and we need to have the understanding that we are living in the last days and we have a job to do. And that job that we're called to do is to not turn coward and run, but we are to stand up and declare boldly what God's word says, that there is a hell and there is a heaven and the wages of sin is death and those wages that death pays is hell. And you're going to hell if you do not change the course and direction of your life. And there is a heaven to gain if we change the course and the direction of our life, and we will end up in the glorious place called heaven. Hallelujah. So we've got to be bold. We've got to be strong. We've got to be courageous. We cannot back down to what God has called us to do. So we have got to be children of the time, to know what the times that, and what we ought to do and what God's calling us to do. Now I want to start in this. Hallelujah. In his book, The Secret of Christian Joy, he said the greatest need for America and for the world, for Canada, is an old-fashioned, heaven-born, God-sent revival. Throughout the history of the church, when clouds have hung the lowest, when sin has seen the blackest, and faith has been the weakest, there have always been a faithful few who have sold out to the, who have not sold out to the devil, nor bowed their knee to Baal, who have feared the Lord and thought upon his name and have not forsaken, forsaken the assembling of themselves together. And there have always been a faithful few who would get on their knees and who would pay the price and would begin to pray and cry out to God for a revival again. So that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to start out with what is the rapture? The rapture is the event in which all who have put their trust in Jesus Christ will be suddenly caught up from the earth and taken to heaven by Jesus. It is set to happen at an unspecified time in the future. The word rapture is translated by the Greek word H-A-R-P-A-Z-O. And it occurs 14 times in the New Testament. That might be an interesting fact for you to write down. It's not something that's just flippantly thrown out there. It's written down 14 times in the word for us to see. And at least, there are at least four meetings that have been assigned to the word rapture. So each of these meetings helps us to understand the nature of the event. Oh my goodness, I love this. I can't wait to tell you these four things. The first meaning of the word is to carry off by force. Satan and his demonic cohorts will do everything in their power to keep the saints here on earth. But Christ's angelic force will overpower them and carry the believer away by force, delivering them to heaven by the omnipotent power at his command. The devil's mighty, but the Lord is almighty. And why do you think we've been given? Oh, when I begin to study on the rapture and we've all been given a guardian angel, what do you think that guardian angel's going to do when the trumpet sounds and the Lord says, come up hither? That angel has been a sign in a second, in a split second, carry us to heaven. Glory to God. The second meaning of the word rapture, to claim for oneself eagerly. At the end of this present age of grace, our blessed Savior will come to claim us as his very own. He has redeemed us by his precious blood and purchased us for himself, and he will surely come to take us to be with him. Now, the third meaning for this Greek word, H-A-R-P-A-Z-O, for rapture, the third meaning, to snatch away speedily. And this definition emphasizes the sudden nature of the rapture. In a split second, the Lord will call all believers to himself to share in his glory, and not one will remain behind. Now the fourth meaning. To rescue from the danger of destruction. This meaning provides strong support for the belief 
that the church will be kept from the danger and destruction of the tribulation. That will start the day we are raptured out of here. So that was the fourth meaning of the word rapture, to rescue from the danger of destruction. Oh, doesn't that give you great joy and confidence to know we've been rescued from the danger of destruction? He will come suddenly in the air to snatch up his own and the catching up of the church, which will occur right before the tribulation that's coming on planet earth. So the tribulation will be an extended time, seven years of war, agony, and devastation like nothing ever seen or imagined on planet earth before. The rapture is God's provision for his saints to, to escape the tribulation. Jesus will return immediately before this time of world judgment to remove completely all those who have put their trust in him. He told the church in Philadelphia, because you have kept my command to persevere. Oh, I love this. I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world. I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole world. Revelation 3.10 says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of tra- same scripture, trial, which will come up on the whole world. First Corinthians 15 says, take notice, I tell you a mystery, a secret truth, an event decreed that's been hidden on purpose by the counsel of God. We shall not all fall asleep in death, but we shall all be changed and transformed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, At the sound of the last trumpet call. For a trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, free and immune from decay. And we shall all be changed and transformed. For this perishable part of us must put on the imperishable nature. And this mortal part of us, this nature that is capable of dying, must put on immortality, freedom from death. So when the corruptible shall put on incorruption... And this mortal should have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, and I love the next verse. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The stage of Christ's second coming will occur at the end This uh, of the, anyway, seven years of tribulation will actually be called the second coming of Christ. But this is called the rapture of the church. And some people call the rapture of the church the second coming, which I do not. I just call that the rapture of the church. So don't try not to be confused in that. So let's look at Zechariah 14. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in that day of battle. And in that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west. Thus, the Lord my God will come and all the saints with him. Oh, glory to God. We're coming back with him. And Jude 14 says, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands and thousands and thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all who can convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So I want you to notice so that you can be assured that there is a rapture and it's about to happen and it could happen at any moment. There are six mentioned in the Bible, six raptures in the Bible. And to confirm the the big main Thing to you, I want to read you these real quick. The rapture of Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he hid not, that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had the testimony that he pleased God. See, we want to please God. That's our testimony before we're taken, that we please God. All right, the next one's the rapture of Elijah in 2 Kings 2. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elijah from Gilgal and suddenly a chariot of fire appeared. 
with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. The third one, the rapture of Jesus, Acts 1. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, and as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The fourth, the rapture of the apostle Paul. Second Corinthians, many scholars say the apostle Paul was taken up. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God only knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for man to utter. And I read in a commentary, while Paul described this event in the third person, the other clues lead most scholars to believe that the experience he related to was his own. All right. Now the next one is the rapture of the church. Glory to God. Uh, We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we ever be with the Lord. And then the sixth one is the rapture of the two witnesses in Revelation eleven twelve, And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them depart. When I was a girl growing up and this was preached to me in the church and it said everybody in the world would witness it. There was not television satellite back then when I was a little girl where now, I mean, you can just see it on your phone. I mean, right here, you can look at world events right here that's happening as it's happening. And my brain and all of our brains could not conceive something like that. But now it's conceivable, isn't it? Today, we could see the people that are left on planet Earth during the seven-year tribulation, which we won't be here. We'll be viewing it from heaven. But they'll be able to see the two witnesses when they're killed and lay in the streets of Jerusalem. They'll be able to see those two witnesses resurrected from the dead and and, and go up to heaven. Oh, my goodness. We couldn't comprehend this, Diana, a few years ago. We didn't have this technology. And that's Daniel being fulfilled again right before our very eyes. Oh, my goodness. What a day that we're living in. So much fun. All right. So here it is in a nutshell. The Lord Jesus Christ returns from heaven, bringing the souls of those who have already died with him. And the bodies of those dead saints are resurrected and changed. And then the bodies of those Christians who are alive and remain at his coming are changed. Oh, just think, we get to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years. Have you ever been to a party that lasted seven years? I've never been to a party that lasted seven years. The marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years. Jerry's always said he's going to come back and be the governor of Hawaii. Do you know what? It really would not surprise me because he said it for 35, 40 years. It really wouldn't surprise me when he's given his assignment that he really is the governor of all those Hawaiian islands. You know, glory to God. (laughs) You know, Jerry likes everything that's fast. Fast cars, fast motorcycles, fast airplanes, anything that's fast. When he was a little bitty boy, his daddy got him a go-kart, and it wasn't fast enough for him. His daddy had to soup it up and make it faster where it was the fastest go-kart in all the neighborhood. So when we're always in Hawaii and we go with the Caldwells and Harrisons, we've been for 35, 38 years. Every Christmas, New Year's, we're there together and and the first two weeks of of the first new year and uh jerry says happy i'm gonna live next door to you in heaven he says you're my good friend i'm gonna live next door to you he says and you know what i'm gonna have a jet boat and my jet boat is gonna shoot rooster tails out the back and he said i'm gonna get in my jet boat every morning i'm gonna drive down through the sea of life and i'm gonna drive by your house and i'm gonna see you out in the back and i'm gonna wave hi happy good to see you i love you brother 
Happy says, Jerry, that won't be heaven for me. <laughs> he said, I don't want to hear the sound of your jet boat coming down the, the sea. <laughs> oh, yeah. Happy Caldwell is about 75 years old. Happy can still wear the swimsuit he wore when he was in high school. And he brings it to Hawaii every year just to show us that he can still get in it. And he was so proud to tell Brother Copeland this one year. He said, Brother Copeland, do you know I can still wear my bathing suit that I had in high school? And Brother Copeland looks at him and says, well, Happy, why would you want to do that? Oh, it's so funny. So funny. Glory to God. All right, let's talk about this. Paul talked about the truth of the rapture to the Thessalonians so that they would not sorrow as others sorrow who have no hope. But if we believe that Jesus died and rose and is coming again, even so God will bring with him all those who are asleep in Christ. Oh, my goodness. Yesterday, Jerry Ann showed me a picture of my daddy. And uh, it was a picture of you and my daddy. And we were all sitting, like, in the living room uh, after we said the service. And we just continued, continued the service over in there. Richard and Lindsay telling us wonderful stories about Brother Earl Roberts. And Jerry Ann just leaned over and handed me her cell phone. And showed me the picture of her as a little girl and my daddy. And I looked at it, and I teared up. Because I haven't seen my daddy since he's gone to heaven, of course. And I looked at Jerry and I said, you know what? I'm going to get to see him real soon. I said, I'm not going to cry anymore. Just tear up just because I missed him. I said, I wish I could just sing for five minutes, put my arms around him and say, Daddy, I love you so much. I just want you to know I miss you. And I thought, why cry? I'm going to see him real soon. I'm going to see him real soon. Jerry, you're going to see your mom and dad real soon. We can laugh at your daddy's jokes real soon. (laughs) Oh, God's so good, isn't he? Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Charles Spurgeon. What? What my mother said when uh, my dad went to heaven first, and then her dad went to heaven, and while they were both down here, they were extremely close. They really loved one another. And uh, my mother said, after Olin went to heaven, her, her daddy, she said, can't you just imagine with both of them up there? And when she got ready to go to heaven, she said, how in the world are you two getting away with all this up here? <laughs> <laughs> heaven wouldn't quite be the same without them two up there. That's they the made truth. us laugh down here. They're going to be making us laugh. That's up there. true. I got it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. God's so good, isn't he? Now, Charles Spurgeon, oh, I love reading after him. Charles Spurgeon said this. He believed that the Lord could return at any time, and he repeatedly urged his people to cultivate an attitude of continual expectancy. And that's what I'm trying to get across to us today in here, that we need to cultivate an attitude of expectancy that it could be before we leave the building. Cultivate an attitude of expectancy. And what did I say yesterday? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That unless we have the fear of the Lord, we're not going to have any perimeters. And that's why we've got a whole generation out there sinning now. Because there are no perimeters because they have no fear of the Lord. There is a judgment day coming. And the judgment day is very soon. And because we have no borders, we have no boundaries... Sin, they're just out there floundering and and so, so consumed with sin. And they're so ignorant, they don't even know it's sin. And then as I said yesterday, we've got preachers out there drinking, throwing shots back and drinking alcohol. And and, uh, wine is nothing to them anymore. They're just, everybody and his brother, it's it's the new fad today. Out there drinking like left and right. And they think in the grace covers it. They're snorting their cocaine as they're snorting their cocaine. They're saying, his grace covers me. As they're snorting it, his grace covers me. His mercy covers me. 
As I, and I've heard these stories as they're sitting there clicking on the pornography and they're watching it. His mercy and his grace covers me. Forgive me, Lord, for this. But they continue to watch it, thinking the mercy and the grace, his sins, my sins are forgiven, past, present, future. I'm already forgiven. But they're doing it as they're quoting the word. This is deception. And as I said yesterday, you know, if we don't teach the fear of the Lord, we're the ones sending them to hell and we've provided the basket that sends them to hell in. Oh, glory to God. So, Charles Spurgeon. I didn't mean to preach. I want to teach here. He believed that the Lord could return at any time. He repeatedly urged his people to cultivate an attitude of continual expectancy. And I want to quote from something that he said. Oh, beloved, let us try every morning to get up as if that were the morning in which Christ would come. And when we go to bed at night, may we lie down with this thought. Perhaps I shall be awakened by the ringing out of the silver trumpets heralding his coming. Before the sun rises, I may be startled from my dreams by the greatest of all cries. The Lord has come. The Lord has come. What a check. What an incentive. What a bridle. What a spur. Such thoughts as these would be to us. Take time. For this guide for your whole life. Act as if Jesus would come in the act in which you are engaged. Do you know that's what kept me as a teenager? I'm not kidding you. And I, Can I just tell you how I was raised as a teenager? What kept me in check and what kept me in line? I would go out on a date and before I'd go out, what if mothers and dads did this today? My mother would lay her hands on me. And she'd say, I pray in the name of Jesus, Carolyn, that you know Holy Spirit's with you tonight in that car. The Holy Spirit's with you tonight. Jesus is there with you tonight. God is with you tonight. Your guardian angel is there with you tonight. Now, don't you do anything that you want to burn in hell for. And she would continue with this. The Bible says it's better if you marry than burn in hell. So guess what? I was a virgin when I married Jerry. I've never been with another man when I married Jerry. Do you think I was going to do something in the back seat of that car? Are you kidding me? I would burn in hell. Now, I'm not saying it has to go that far. Or maybe it should. I don't know. I don't know. Am I telling the truth? I don't know. All right. Before the sun arises, I will be startled from my dreams by the greatest of all cries. The Lord has come. The Lord has come. What a check. What an incentive. What a bridle. What a spur. Such thoughts as these would be to us. So he said, take this for the God of your life. Act as if Jesus would come in the act in which you are engaged. And if you would not wish to be caught in that act by the coming of the Lord, let it not be your act. Oh, glory. Do you remember the slogan years ago, what would Jesus do? That's where the wristbands came out, WWJD. We need to go back to those days and put those reminders before our eyes. We do. We need something put before our eyes. Like Lindsay said, that that uh, frog yesterday, she said she wished she'd have had all these frogs sitting out there on the table for y'all to buy so that we could keep one on our desk, keep one wherever we're at so you could see you're not going to become desensitized to, to the world, you know, become like the world. And so if we had reminders before our eyes, what would Jesus do? It, that little wristband, I think that was the greatest idea. I think that somebody needs to come back out with it again. Does it sound like Charles Spurgeon had been reading Paul's letter to Titus? By the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Glory to God. We are in the end times. Now, I read this book a few weeks ago, and I had it yesterday up here about heaven, the one about hell and the one about heaven, and I forgot to put it in my notebook to bring over here, but I uh, had copied these on my phone, so I'd always have it with me. She said, let me see if I can get it better this way. She said, it's one thing to try to describe the wonders of this city. It's quite another to know that you will share the joy of it. She said, I saw some of the exuberant citizens of heaven, and they were all dressed in robes. The scriptures came to me. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. The happiness and the joy that being from the faces was beyond compare. Heaven is a real place. Amen. It's not a figment of someone's imagination. In the Bible, it's recorded that Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. A prepared place for a prepared people. Since we are children of God and have been transformed and made new by the miracle of regeneration, and since we are now new creations in Christ, it is a joy to know that the place where we will spend eternity is prepared by the Savior who saved us. Heaven is a perfect place. It's perfect. You know what? We love, Jerry and I love so many places here on, on earth. We love, I don't know if you've ever been to, a lot of you haven't been to my house, but I love running water. I love the sound of running water. So I have a fountain in the front, have fountains in the back. I have streams. I have fountains out at the pond. I love to be by the river. I love to be by streams. I love the sound of running water because it's so peaceful and so tranquil. Oh, I can't even imagine sitting down and talking to Jesse Duplantis about heaven every single time we get with them. Jesse, tell me more. Tell me about heaven again. Tell me how you've, tell me all about heaven. Oh, there were mansions. There were condos. There were apartments. And when the angel of the Lord, I know he'll like this, take him by way of the mountains and let him see this. That's what he told the angel of the Lord. Jesus said, take Jesse this way. Because I know he'll enjoy seeing that. Oh, my brain, my mind, because the beauty of what we experience now. Jerry and I, God bless us with a, a lake house down on the Brazos River between Weatherford and Granbury. That's our piece of heaven on earth. You walk out and you see the Brazos River flowing. And I just want to sit out there. It's truly like a resort. It's like a Hawaiian resort in our backyard. And it's just like, I don't ever want to leave it. God shows up down there. God is there. So if, I, if that is as beautiful and wonderful as it is now, can't, I can't even comprehend what God's prepared for us in heaven. Well, let me, let me just move on here, okay? All right, 2,500 years ago, I'm going to backtrack a little bit now to show you the fulfillment of Scripture that we're about to go to heaven. Russia is back. That's what I want to say. Russia is back. And yesterday I hit just a little bit on Russia, but today I want to cover more of it, okay? 2,500 years ago, Ezekiel predicted Russia's return to power in the latter days. Chapter 38 and 39, his prophecy, he described the invasion of the land of Israel and of Russia and the coalition, mostly Islamic nations. And oh, I'm going to skip down to this. Ezekiel 38, 1 through 6, you'll see all the nations named Gog, Magog, Rosh. Well, Gog's not a nation, it's a person. But Magog, Rosh, Meshach, Tubal, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, Gomer, and Togarma. Oh, you will not find the name Russia in these two prophecies. Uh, 
in these chapters anywhere else in the Bible, but the nation we know as Russia figures very prominently into these scriptures. In Ezekiel, the list of the ten proper names, the third name being Rosh, R-O-S-H, is the most important, for it identifies the nation ruled by the leader of the coalition that will attack Israel. So we have at least two strong reasons to believe that R-O-S-H and Russia are the one and the same. The term Rosh is found three times in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 38 and 39. Dr. John F. Walvoord tells us that in the study of how the ancient words came into modern language, it's quite common for the continents to remain the same and the vowels to be changed. So in the word Rosh, R-O-S-H, if the vowel O was changed to U, it becomes the root of the modern word Russia. Willahem, and his name is spelled G-E-S-E-N-I-U-S. I know it's a hard name, so I can't pronounce it. The famous 19th century lexographer increases the certainty of that assumption when he assures us that Rosh in Ezekiel 38 and 39 undoubtedly is Russia, who are mentioned by the Byzantine writer of the 10th century under the name R-O-S, Ross. So we see it is Russia. Now, I want to look at the word Persia, Persian, and Persians all occurred 36 times in the Old Testament, according to Ezekiel 38.5. Persia will also participate in Russia's invasion against Israel. Persia changed its name to Iran in March 1935. Then in 1979, changed it again to the Islamic Republic of Iran. Iran and Russia will be leading the forces in the final attempt to wipe Israel off the map. Today, with its 77 million people, Iran is wielding the influence not only in the Middle East, but the West as well. Now this, I I mentioned it temporarily, but I want to quote it exact to you yesterday. Under the leadership of President Barack Barack Obama, the United States has entered into an agreement with Iran that baffles allies and enemies alike. It involves allowing the country to develop nuclear weapons and an access of $100 billion that our country gave them. More than one pundit has argued that the United States is now the leading financier of terrorism in the world. We've paid for it. Why the Obama administration has chosen to trust Iran is a great mystery. It is one of the most belligerent nations in the world today, despite the fact that U.S. nuclear agreements have aided Iran in its pursuit of power. That country has not slacked its hatred towards America or Israel. The Iranian leaders call America the great Satan, and they still openly vow to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Their hatred is intense and unyielding. Every year, Muslims celebrate Quds Day on the last Friday of Ramadan. And historically has been a time to call for violence against the Jewish state. Shortly after that day, the Iranian, Iranian president urges the entire country to shout its hatred for the Zionists and back Palestinian efforts to seize territory from Israel. What disturbs the Western nations as well as most of the Middle East is the fact that the Iranian deal gives Iran the means to act on the hatred, according to the Washington Post. Quote from the Washington Post, none of Iran's nuclear facilities will be closed. Not one of the country's 19,000 will be dismantled. In effect, Iran's nuclear infrastructure will remain intact. When the accord lapses, the Islamic, Islamic Republic will instantly become a threshold of nuclear power. The proposed accord will provide Iran a huge economic boost that will allow it to wage most aggressively the war it is already fighting or sponsored in the region. What may be worse, their loose and unenforceable inspection terms outlined in the treaty play into the hands of the Russians' growing ties with Iran. The agreement would be vulnerable to the greed of the international actors, particularly President Putin. If the Russians, among others, cheated when it comes to monitoring Saddam Hussein's activities, you can be sure they'll do the same with Iran. And have you noticed, this is what I said to you yesterday, have you noticed on the news 
The threats that Putin has given to President Donald Trump concerning the inspectors and their inspections of the nuclear developments in Iran and also his threats to President Trump to back away from North Korea. Folks, we're seeing the Bible fulfilled before our very eyes every day. It's such an exciting time that we are living in. Now, I don't think I showed this to you yesterday, but this is just one more little confirmation that implanted microchips to replace credit cards and car keys. And I've heard of this since I was a little bitty girl about the mark of the beast and all these things that would take place. Well, we're here, and these are just forerunners just showing us so we're not caught off guard and we're not stupid and blind and dumb, you know. And we can see that these forerunners are here. Not that we will be participants of this, but these are forerunners just to let us know that it's here. It's amongst us. It's happening. And I know that there is a company and a business in Iowa or Idaho or somewhere who are having all of their employees do this. He's making all of their employees do this. So it's here. It's just a a matter of time. But we'll be raptured out of here. Glory to God. Now, what's our plan? What is our plan? What part do we play? And I've got just a few minutes and I'm going to run through it, okay? What part do we play in all of this? Where do we come in? Helping to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, let's rededicate ourselves to the Lord. We have to rededicate ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and we have to rededicate ourselves to praying. And I know to some people that's an ugly word and a dirty word because they want to leave it to all the little old women like the women my age who's almost 70. Leave it to all the little grannies. It's their job to pray. No, it's not. The job for praying is for every single one of us if you call yourself part of the body of Christ. Not leave it to us little old women, all right? Matthew 5, 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Definition of hunger, having a strong desire or craving for. Definition of thirst, having a strong desire for something, a feeling or needing for something. We dedicate ourselves to living a life of personal holiness, living in a state of being on fire for God and having our own personal revival going on on the inside of us at all times. Letting the Holy Spirit come and take control of us and send a, a great fire into our soul. Psalms 119. I'm going to go fast, okay? My time, my clock's going like this. Revive me according to your word. Verse 37, revive me in your way. Verse 40, revive me in your righteousness. Verse 88, revive me according to your love and kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Revive me according to your justice. Revive me according to your word. Revive me according to your judgments. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. So he's got to revive us and we've got to cry out to him to be revived. He longs. To grant us perpetual joy, empowered living. If we are to change the world, we must first let the Lord change us. And then we pass on to the others the flame he's ignited in our hearts. Oh, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And look at this. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You know, yesterday I mentioned to you a scripture I'd been praying for President Trump. Here was several of them. I've been praying for him. Whosoever digs a pit will fall into it. And if someone rolls a stone, it will roll back on them. They dig a pit to trap others. They fall into it themselves. Well, did you read the news this morning and last night about Hillary Clinton and DNC and how she'd already paid ahead of time? The money's just astronomical. So before Bernie Sanders even ran against her, she'd already had the shoe in. She'd already behind closed doors had been, you know, chosen to run for the Democratic Party. And then all this stuff. So if you open up your news today, you're going to find that there's three Watergate scandals now hitting the Clintons all at one time. 
And this is what I've been praying. I've been praying that everything hidden in darkness will be brought to the light. I've been praying the pit that they dug, they're going to fall into their own pit. And this one says, behold, the wicked man conceives iniquity and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He made a pit and hollowed it out and has fallen into the hole which he made before the trap was completed. His mischief shall fall back and return upon his own head and his violence come down with the loose dirt upon his own scalp. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Let me move on. So you have to be hungry. You have to be hungry for the Lord. You have to be thirsty. Uh, you have to cry out. Oh, so hungry that have you, you and your spouse ever gotten in the car and you make this, this statement. Jerry and I do this often. We sit in the driveway trying to decide where we're going to go eat. We have to choose before we drive out, out of the driveway and the go- gate closes on us because if we're going to go to Burleson, we have to turn right. If we're going to go to Fort Worth, we have to turn left. So we have to make this decision sitting in our driveway right before that gate opens. And this is how the conversation goes. Well, I don't really care. Where do you want to go? Well, I don't really care. Where, where do you want to eat? Well, I, I don't care either. You decide. No, you decide. When the conversation goes like that, we're not really hungry. We're not hungry. We're just going because it's that time of day and it's time to go, but we're not hungry. But we pull up to that gate and he says, where do you want to go to eat? I want to go to El Chico's today. We take out of that driveway and our left we go and we know exactly where our destination is and we know right where we're headed. We're going to get what we're hungry for. We're going to go get what we want. So you have to make up your mind what you want and what you're hungry for. What are you thirsting for? Hunger for God. Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who are hungering and thirsty for righteousness, for they will be filled. I'm seeing a hunger in my pastor right now that I haven't seen in a long time. I'm seeing hunger here. They're coming in early. They're praying. They're interceding. They're encouraging the church to come out now. You know, Mike Perky said years ago, he said, I, I encourage the church. I bet I pleaded and begged and pleaded for the church to come to prayer meeting. I'd only have a handful of the little old gray-haired grannies that would show up. He said, but then one day I announced, we're going to have a cornbread and bead dinner tonight. We want y'all all to come. Do you know the church was packed out with everybody coming to eat the cornbread and beans? They're not interested in it. So what are you hungry for? Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they shall be filled. The word hunger in the Greek is written in what is called a present durative tense. What that means is that their hungry continues even after they're fulfilled. When we experience this kind of hunger, we can be fulfilled, but never permanently satisfied. Once we see the operation of God's power in action, we become hungry for even more. I grew up in those Holy Ghost revival days and I saw miracles back then. I'm not seeing now and I'm hungry for seeing people get up out of wheelchairs. I'm hungry for seeing the power of God. I remember this. Brother William Branham in those services, he said one night, there is a man here and God has pleaded with you and he has pleaded with you and he has pleaded with you to give your life to him. And he says, he's only giving you a few more minutes. This is the service that you had better give your heart to the Lord. And he said, if you don't give your heart to the Lord in this service, when you walk out of this building, you will be hit by a car and you will die. He pleaded. Oh, I've got goosebumps. He pleaded and he begged and he pleaded and he begged in that service for that man. Do you know, Stuart, there was a gentleman in that service as he walked. Our church had these huge steps. He walked out of the church, down those steps. As he went across the street, a car hit him and killed him instantly as he walked out those church doors. It's not that I'm longing to see. What I'm wanting, I hope you understand my heart. What I'm wanting to, what I'm wanting to see, even now as I stand here before you, 
is let my ears be digged out. My heart be cleaned and burned out by the fire of the Holy Ghost. So that there's no sin, there's no corruption, so there's, there's nothing that distracts me. I can hear the Holy Spirit say, tell him, I'll meet that need. Don't you worry about it. I've already taken care of it. Don't fret over it. Don't fret over it. I'm big enough to handle it and take care of it. I want to be so sensitive like Brother William Branham was. That money you're needing for that venture. $425,000.75. Oh, my God. That just came on me. I've never done that. But you see, that's what I'm crying out for. That's what we're wanting, isn't it? It's what we're wanting, isn't it? It's operating in me right now. It's operating in me right now. The increase in the anointing that your heart's desiring to be used of him in a big, great way. It's yours for the asking. It's yours for the taking. It's yours. It's yours. It's yours. Reach out and take it. God is big enough to do it. I don't know about you. I'm ready for this. I'm hungering for this. I want it. I saw it as a child and I haven't seen it in years. And I want what I saw as a child. And this is the generation of hungry and thirsty ministers that God can use to bring it back. We're it. We're it. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Oh, hungering. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Rightness. That just came to me right now. Rightness. We're hungering for rightness. I showed you pictures yesterday on the board of the drag queen. There are so many more things that I didn't have the media department put up there for me. But there was a school in uh, Massachusetts that they were having a talent thing for the children. And there was one of the teachers dressed in drag and did a strip show on the platform uh, for the parents that what they were going to have at the school talent show, elementary school talent show. These were things I didn't put on the board yesterday to show you. Hunger and thirst for rightness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst. I want some of you to be raised up and you start preaching to your congregants to get out there and start running for office. We've got to take back our land. We've got to take back our community. They need to get out there and start running for state representative and and get out there and run for these positions. We've got to bring back rightness into our land. Righteousness. What is right? We're not going to have any talent show where they were laying. If you could see the pictures, and I wish they were squirming on on the the floor in the talent show, a sex a strip tease for the children, elementary children. Anyway, let me get off of that. Bring back rightness. What's right? So the results of hungering and thirsting after righteousness is simply those who do so will be filled. Filled with what? They will be filled with what's right in God's eyes. This whole verse is fascinating. When it's all brought together, it can be translated this way. God invokes a divine favor and increasing proportion upon those who hunger and crave continually for those things that are totally right in his eyes. The result is they will be filled and fulfilled with those right things. 
God's people, then we'll see a hurting humanity, but also see a God who is right to meet humanity's needs. The result is a hunger that is fulfilled but yearns to see more. The consequences will be the birth of a new season of God's flow in the spirit. Becoming a hungry person. Hungry people do desperate things. We must be a people desperate for the things of God. If you want to see something you have never seen before, then you have to do something you have never done before. If you and I want to see God move in the revival again, we cannot remain the same. True hunger will not be derived or arrived until it is satisfied. True hunger has to be satisfied. So I'm, my cry my spirit today is that you get hunger. That you get so hungry on the inside. So spiritual hunger makes four important contributions. It produces a desire to see a hurting humanity helped. Which serves to identify the need of the hour. Don't we see the need of the hour? So being hungry produces a desire to see a hurting humanity helped. Which deserves... Which serves to identify the need of the hour. It motivates people to move towards God and all that is right. Motivates us to move towards God and all that is right. And it promotes the recognition that a signal is being given by the Holy Spirit for a new season of God to begin. That's what hunger, oh my goodness, it promotes the recognition. There's a signal going on on the inside of all of us. It's being given to us. There's a signal by the Holy Spirit. There's a new season of God beginning. Hallelujah. It's a new season beginning. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Are you hungry? And it causes us to long for the things of God that are not present in our lives to fulfill that hunger. That's what I was just talking about. It's causing the things of God that are not present in my life right now that I saw as a child. I'm hungering for that to be fulfilled. I want to see people come up out of wheelchairs. I want to see, as Jerry said today, that little lady that came to the mall said, follow the light. God sent her up there. She followed the light where the anointing was, and she received her healing that day. Don't you want it to be like when the shadow fell on them that they were healed? When you have to go to the grocery store, and as you're walking through the grocery store, what is it about you? Who are you? What makes you different? I'm just sitting here. What's different about you? And you can say, can I lead you to Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you know he's coming soon? Do you know, I go to Walgreens right up here, and there's a a lady that works in the cosmetics. Her name is Debbie. And the other two or three, I, I, I know them now for years and years and years. Have I ever witnessed to them and asked them, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? I have not. I see these ladies Every week, two or three times a week. Do you know, with me praying and studying the last few weeks, guess what? I'm just about to go up there and witness every one of them. I'm going to lead them all to the Lord. I am. I'm going to. I I can't live with this anymore. I'm on fire with it on the inside of me. We walk by people every day, and they're going to hell. Every time I walk in, Debbie says, she, I see her out there smoking her cigarette, you know, when she's on her break. That doesn't bother me. I'll stand out there and talk to her. Y'all, I'm not so religious that people say, we can't picture Miss Carolyn. One man the other day says, what do you drive? I said, a pickup truck. You drive a pickup truck? Yeah, I drive a pickup truck. What, what did you think I drive? I mean, I'm a Texan. Yeah. <laughs> I live in Texas. What do you think us girls drive? You know. Also, also like Mercedes, and you know, I like all this other stuff too. And they said we can't picture you. What? I said, yeah, I would be out there on the riding lawnmower mowing the grass. You would be on the riding lawnmower mowing all this grass. Yes, I did it for years and years and years. I mowed all of this. I'd be doing it today if they'd let me get me one. Anyway, let's not go there. (laughs) Guess what? 
I painted the top peak of that up there. I painted it on a scaffolding and a ladder with a paintbrush taped onto a stick because nobody, I didn't want anybody else up there. If somebody fell, I I wanted it to be me, you know. But you're here. You saw me. You're a witness. I was up there on that peak painting that. You can stand up and tell them I did it. And I would get up on the roof and roof this building with the shingles, with a hammer and nails. That's the kind of person I am. I'm not flutie, tootie, miss foodie, you know. I mean, (laughs) I can be. I like my jewels. But give me my John Deere. Give me my John Deere and give me my jewels and I'm a happy girl. Oh, God's good. It causes us to long for the things of God that are not present in our lives to fulfill the hunger. I want that. I want that. I'm going to stop. It's our lunchtime. I have another one I didn't finish. I didn't finish on spiritual hunger. Can I give you one story? Just one story. One story. John G. Lake was out on a snowshoe trip. He was trekking through the snow. It was a 30-mile snowshoe trip. Can you imagine him 30 miles on this thing? And he had come home, and he was starving. He was exhausted. He was starving. He was so hungry. And he got to his house, and his wife wasn't home, and there was no food. Nothing was cooked. So he went next door to his sister's home, and there was this great big pan of cornbread on the stove. And he got that pan of cornbread out. He ate the whole entire pan. It was still warm. He ate it, but he thought it had a funny texture to it. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was wonderful to him because he was starving. He ate that whole entire pan of cornbread. In just a few minutes, he heard some commotion coming in the door, and it was his sister and brother-in-law. And they said, she said, John, you're home. You must be starved. You must be hungry. He said, no, I just ate what you had on the stove. She said, John, you didn't eat that. He said, I did eat it. And she said, John, that was cow bread. That's corn cobs. We've ground the corn cobs up and cooked it in that. And that's for the animals to eat. (laughs) You know what he said? It tastes mighty good to a hungry man. (laughs) It tastes mighty good to a hungry man. So if you are a hungry man, if you are a hungry person, the things of God are going to taste mighty good to you. Mighty good to you. Now I see my son-in-law sitting there and I have to do this one illustration before I leave. I didn't get into any of it on prayer. I was going to start on prayer. Prayer is a disinfectant. Did you know it? Prayer is a disinfectant, and it destroys the, destroys the contagion of evil that's in the world. That's what prayer does. And I also had this illustration that Brother Hagen gave years ago, that prayer is like going down into your soul, down into your spirit. You go so deep down in there, and you get to the very bottom of your soul, and it's like taking a sock and getting to the bottom, and you begin to pull, and you begin to pull, and it hurts. And you're praying and you're not liking what you're seeing as you're praying because it's all about yourself. And you begin praying and praying and pulling and pulling and pulling and praying. And then all of a sudden the anointing of God comes on you and it begins to pull you from the inside out. And then you get to be where you are used to the world and to the body of Christ through prayer. And he also said, prayer is like emptying your soul out. It's like you go so deep on the inside of you that you begin to pray and you begin to pray and you begin to pray and you begin to pour out. You're pouring out and you're pouring out and you're pouring out everything that's on the inside of you and you're pouring out and you're pouring out and you're pouring out until you are emptied on the inside. And guess what? 
The next prayer session, you're filled up again. You're filled up again. And when you're in prayer, you're filled up again. And you begin to pour out and pour out and pour out. reason I brought my own sock today... A few years ago, I wanted to use this illustration. I didn't have a sock because it came up in me while I was teaching. I said to my handsome, big, hunk of a son-in-law, I said, Rodney, can I borrow your sock for my illustration? He pulled off his wet, sweaty sock. Well, I should have known, but it had a hole in it. Well, it's okay if his socks have holes in them, just so his underwear doesn't have holes in them. (laughs) So that's what God wants out of us. This is what he wants out of us. He wants us to give ourselves to prayer so that we can pray in. Oh, we're apart. Of seeing the rapture of the church. We're it. We're it. We're the last group. We're it. So let's do our job. Let's do our part. Stand up. Stand up. Jay, turning it over to you. You. All right. Give my wife a good hand. Amen. I think she's fired up. What do you think? Praise God. Hallelujah. Lift your hands right now and just worship the Lord for a moment. Father, we bless you and we take to heart what we've heard. You can count on us, Lord. We will not let you down. We will be the men and the women that you have desired us to be, made us to be. You can count on us to fulfill your dream in the earth. And we plan on bringing many, many souls to heaven with us. Thank you, Father, for your anointing on each and every one of us. Thank you for a a new hunger and a new thirst and a new desire for the deep things of God. Deep calleth unto deep. And we praise you, Father, for things that we know are in store for all those who love you, who seek you, good things, greater things. And we lay hold upon them with our faith right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God.